Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. All right, if you guys could stand, um, I'm going to read the passage for today. This is a this is a traditional church thing that we just picked up at the, when we came back from COVID last year because we're like, this makes sense and we really like it. And so we do this because we want to honor the fact that God has given us his word and um, the weight of the words that God has, has given us. So this is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead." For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Um, Daniel, if you could put the first section of that back up. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, we talked a lot about this last week, that um, Christ didn't have to suffer, but he came and he suffered. He suffered things that are just normal for us, but weren't for him uh, on our behalf. And then suffered on the cross and, um, and suffered a crucifixion for us. He suffered in the flesh. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So be ready to do the same thing. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. This is a verse that caught me a few months ago. Whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And what this passage seems to be saying is that suffering is a path to righteousness. Maybe the path to righteousness um, is suffering. And for me, as I dug into this, I thought, man, there's a lot of tension uh, in, that, in that thought and in that statement. Part of the tension is, um, do you like suffering? Because I don't like suffering. You know, <laughs> So there's just a natural resistance to suffering. And the other one is that, honestly, the, the will of God often doesn't seem as fun as the desires of the flesh. So we got to get ourselves up for wanting the will of God more than the passions of the flesh. And then we got to get ourselves up for the path, which is suffering. And so that's where I want to go today. And I've got three sections to this, uh, starting with we don't hate suffering as much as we think we do. The desires of the flesh aren't as satisfying as they're advertised to be. And Christ-like suffering is the path to life. So let me talk about suffering for a few minutes and, uh, and that we don't hate it as much as we think that we do. And so when I read this passage and it says, since Christ suffered, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. Embrace suffering. My knee-jerk reaction is, nah, <laughs> nah, no thanks, not interested. But suffering, I think we suffer more than we, than we think about. Suffering is kind of the air we breathe and it's unavoidable in um, in a lot of ways. We talk a lot as a church over the years, we've talked a lot about the idea of lament and the importance of lament and the importance of grief and recognizing those areas where you are suffering something and being able to process those things um, before God. And that is a bit countercultural because we, we want to run away from it 
as much as we just want to avoid it as much as we can as a culture. Social media is not the problem, but social media makes our problems worse. And so when people, when we put stuff on social media, we don't put suffering out there. We put everything is awesome, you know, um, when it's not. But that's because we don't want to let people know about the suffering and, and social media like exacerbates um, that whole thing. And then it gets worse because everyone's pretending that we're not suffering when we know that we are suffering. And so then it makes the whole thing feel worse than it does. We live in a, you know, an economy that, that runs on advertising things. And the advertising all projects that, maybe it projects that you are suffering and you wouldn't be suffering if you spent $19.99 on our product, you know, or, or $1,999 or $19,999 on whatever it is that we're selling, then your life would be the way that it's supposed to be and you wouldn't be suffering. I thought about the fact that more people than ever are you know, going to some form of mental health counseling, which is a good thing, but we're going because we're suffering in some way. And people, and there's still a stigma that people have with that, which we shouldn't, but like, because we don't want to ask for help, and A, we don't want to admit we need help, and then B, we don't want to admit that we can't help ourselves enough to not need help. And that all relates to suffering and how we just don't want to, to project any of that. But we are. Um, and so take a minute to lament you know, the, the, are you suffering physically? Are you suffering physically in some way? Like, I'm getting old. I'm suffering, like, just a couple things that don't go away. Like, it just happens. You know, are you suffering relationally? We did a Stephen ministry workshop after service last Sunday, which was awesome. And we talked about processing emotions with folks. And we ended up talking about safe people and unsafe people. And everybody has some unsafe people. You got an unsafe person in your life? Uh, you're suffering relationally. Uh, in some way, emotionally, um, everyone's. We've there's a little thing called COVID. Everyone's suffering. I saw this sign. Maybe you've seen this sign already because I think it's not from this January. But January was a tough year, but we made it through. <laughs> right? Like that's how we all feel right now. Um, it feels like the last two years have been a tough century, you know. <laughs> uh, but we got we got through them. I was talking to one pastor this week about church and COVID and all the things, and he said, man, I'm not at a point where it's like a lot of pastors have gone on to do something different. He said, I don't want to do something different. I don't want to do anything at all, <laughs> like just exhausted. Um, you could be suffering professionally. I know a lot of you are suffering professionally in some way, shape, or form, suffering financially. Uh, like, and we're tough, and we don't want to be whiners, and others are much worse off, uh, but we live in a broken world, and some of you are really, really suffering, you know? And you shouldn't suffer alone. Uh, that is a tool of the devil to isolate us in our suffering. Uh, so we think we're the only ones, you know, and um, you're not. Last week, I talked about Jesus being our great high priest, and he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses, and he knows, he's shared in your sufferings, he knows the things that you're suffering. Next week, I'm going to talk just about the beauty of the church, and this is a family, I mean, it is, it is just this morning, like, it's so great to worship with you guys, <laughs> to have a family to worship the Lord together with, but to share our sufferings with. And, and we should not be alone. We shouldn't feel shame. Shame exacerbates our suffering. Even self-induced suffering that you feel shame for, Jesus hung naked on a cross. He took shame. He took your shame away so that you don't have to experience that shame. So suffering is unavoidable, but we try really hard to avoid um, suffering. I'm going to, I think I'm about to overshare, okay? Uh, you can tell me later or text me now. 
I had, I had to have a colonoscopy this week, okay? There's some suffering involved with that. But the worst part of it was that I had to fast for a day and a half. I couldn't eat. That was the thing for weeks. I'm like, oh, man, I hate. I should fast. Jesus fasted. We should be fasting. We're going to talk about Lent in a few minutes and, like, the idea of fasting and induced suffering. And that's the thing that I hated the most. They put an IV in. As soon as she said an IV, I'm like, ah, because the three seconds before they put the needle in, are like the worst part of your life, you know? Um, I give blood on a fairly regular basis, and I don't, when they, I, you know what's happening, but as soon as that needle comes out, you're like, ah, oh, I don't have to be doing this, but I'm going to do it, and so that's, we, that, that's the part that we hate the worst. It's tax time. We hate that. Um, there are parts of your job, like work is toil. There are parts of your job that you hate that are suffering, you know, I, taking the dog out in the morning. We all hate that in our house, um, mowing the lawn, doing the dishes, all of it. So when this passage says, since Christ suffered, you should too, I'm like, I don't want to talk about this. Can we go on to the next passage? But we know that suffering leads to good. And so when he says, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God, we know that's true, that suffering leads to progress. And really, we think no progress happens without some element of suffering. Anything worth having is going to cost you something. So we know this is true. And it's true in the spiritual realm as well as other realms. We visited my son at college. He's a freshman in college last week. And I thought college is a form of suffering. I mean, you forego um, four, five, maybe six years of income in order to, uh, to study. I, I, and study stuff that, you, that doesn't matter. I was cleaning out my closet this week. And I found my college transcript, and I went through it. That was a total waste of time. You know, like so much stuff that I've never, I wasn't even thinking about then, much less after then. And so you, you do that, and you spend um, long nights writing papers on stuff you don't care about and getting ready for tests for information you're going to forget. Um, and you're sacrificing painful amounts of money, uh, oftentimes over long periods of times. But you do that in order to get a degree that is going to give you a lot of professional flexibility for the rest of your life, right? We know that suffering leads to progress. Work is toil. And so at your work, every single week, there are elements of suffering that you go through in order to attain productivity and professional satisfaction and to make a living and meet your needs and care for your family and work as a means of loving your neighbor. We know that. You suffer in the gym in order to stay healthy. It gives you freedom in other areas. You play an instrument. You suffer hours and hours of practicing a skill to give you the freedom to play that instrument. You, you suffer little kids to have a family. Can I get an amen? You suffer little kids. They're not even here right now, right? They're gone. You suffer little kids um, so that you can have a family. And then you suffer getting a puppy to keep your kids happy that you had. And so that's all that. And people frequently look back at the worst things in life and think, and what do they say? Worst things in life, they're like, I wouldn't change a thing. Made me who I am. And you're like, you should rethink that because I would change those things, you know? But that's how we think about it. And we know that kids born with silver spoons in their mouth don't, like that doesn't work out well most of the time because the tension forms you and it's good for you. So we know that. So we don't hate suffering quite as much as we think that we hate suffering. Um, and so the passage is telling us something that we, we know is true, but we don't necessarily like, but it's true. The desires of the flesh aren't as satisfying as they're advertised to be. 
Um, and so that's the passage. Like, is it, worth, um, is it worth the sacrifice, the suffering, in order to be rid of the desires of the flesh? To, do we really, and this is the question, do we really want to cease from sin? I think about this question a lot. Like, we've ceased from some sins. If you walk with Jesus for all, you've ceased from some sins. But there's a lot of sins that we still need to cease from. And the real danger for the church and for Christians is just to get passive and to stop and to think this is enough. And it's not. Like, the kingdom of heaven isn't like this, so we got to keep going to the kingdom. And our flesh is at war with the Spirit. This is Romans chapter 7. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of, this, of sin that dwells in my members. Like Paul presents it as a war in Galatians. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you don't want to do. Um, there's an either-or-ness to it. Uh, and, and we know this. This has made it into popular culture, right, with the angel and the devil on your shoulders. So this is... This is old school angel and devil. This is extra credit if you can name that or not. Uh, and then there's kind of newer school. This is, this is a kid's movie. This is, what, what movie is this? Emperor's New Groove, right. And then the ubiquitous, the Simpsons, Homer Simpson. There you go. But in popular culture, who wins? I mean, it's probably 50-50. The devil might win more than the angel does. And who's the good guy in popular culture? Oftentimes, it's the devil and the angel is portrayed in a negative way. And this is just right back to the Garden of Eden and the devil saying, surely you won't die. Like, it's not that big of a deal. It's the same temptation. And so going through this passage, I don't want to take for granted that we would embrace the suffering in order to win this battle without declaring what the win is. And, and Peter goes down that road. He says, the time is past. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. Uh, this is the, it's like the air we breathe. If it feels good, if it feels good, do it, yeah. Follow your, yeah, follow your heart. It, we're at a point where to deny your passions is seen as like a form of self-abuse. Um, and it does feel good to feed the flesh. There is a high you get from sex and substance and buying stuff and just doing whatever you want to whenever you want to. And to a point, these are gifts from God. And so he made them that way. And Praise the Lord for that, but past a point, they turn, we turn them into gods. Um, and I want to be careful not to be um, self-righteous about that, because we'll, we'll dive into another realm of sin, and Jesus, I think, was harder on the self-righteous than he was. Um, one artist that I listened to long ago that said, My, our virtues are just as dangerous to us as our vices, and I'd rather be on the edge of falling back into my vices then be firmly planted in my virtues and think it's okay. And you can't say debauchery without sounding like the church lady. Like, it's just a word that's hard to do, you know? Um, God made us to enjoy this stuff, but to enjoy it in the right way, in the right amount, at the right time. Um, and that's hard. Uh, college is an opportunity for suffering. It's also a great opportunity for debauchery. 
Um, I looked up that word. I've never looked at that word. And it's a conjunction of two words that mean not and save. And so it's either there seemed to be some debate about whether it's someone who's beyond savable or somebody who just doesn't spare anything. And I think it's this doesn't spare anything because it's a word that's used of the prodigal son, if you remember that story in Luke, and he was um, saved, you know, eventually. And so uh, it's someone who just doesn't hold anything back. And so when we were at, at um, in Michael's dorm last Saturday night, uh, there were some kids walking by us. It was pretty funny because we're in his dorm room, you know. It's a little bit weird being in a college dorm um, as a parent. And then these, these girls go into this dorm room across the hall. And I wasn't looking at anything, but the guy's like, hey, can you close the door because I'm in my underwear here. Hey, mom and dad, how you doing? Like, <laughs> you know, I'm just like, I love, I loved college. <laughs> uh, but I thought this is, this whole place is like the Garden of Eden, it's like the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is right there, and there's no restrictions to it at this point. You know what I mean? Like, it's just do whatever you want. And I felt very fatherly towards, towards all these. Nothing specific was going on. I just thought, um, oh, y'all, be careful. <laughs> you know, I thought Jesus, God put, God put, the, put the tree in the middle of the garden. Like, he gave, just said, go ahead. He didn't hide it, you know. But then he also said, hey, where are you? And, and he knew where they were because he's God. So I think that question has to come across as like, hey, look at where you are <laughs> after they ate. Like, this isn't going well, is it? No, it's not going well. Like, just a fatherly, where are you? Um, the desires of the flesh are, are fun for a while. But there's a law of diminishing returns where you need more substance to get the same satisfaction. And the desires of the flesh come with their, their own form of suffering. Like debauchery always comes with a hangover. Um, and if I never get a hangover again, it'll be too soon. Um, we in our, in our culture have fought a sexual revolution over the last 50 years, and the culture has won, and so people can do whatever they want. But that's like coming back around. <laughs> People are realizing that's probably not such a great idea. There was, there's a show called Ted Lasso, and there was an episode in the first season where, um, where in the same episode, the main character who's going through a divorce has a one-night stand with another main character's best friend, and it's presented by the show as like a great thing. And then two other main characters are talking about having a one-night stand, and the guy says, I've had a million one-night stands, and so have you, and every one of them has been completely empty, so we're not doing it. <laughs> She's like, oh, Okay. <laughs> And, but in the same show, in the same episode, the show presented a one-night stand as a good thing and a bad thing because they just don't know, you know? Like, there's just a lostness to it. And uh, debauchery always comes with a hangover. In the passage, they'll give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And so we're called to trust that God knows what he's talking about when he says, when he says all that. In Galatians, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And he says, I warned you. Or I warned you as I warned you before. Like, I'm just warning, you know. Those who do such things won't inherit the kingdom of God and do such things in that passage. is not like 
done once, but like continue to do these things. Um, and he's saying people who repeatedly do such things won't be in the kingdom of God because that's not what the kingdom of God's going to be like because God's not like that, you know? And, and then he contrasts it and says the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there's no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, they have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. They've crucified the flesh. They've suffered. They've sacrificed. Because, and that's Christ-like suffering is the path to life. Christ-like suffering is the path to life. So, um, yeah, we don't hate suffering as much as we think we do. The, the desires of the flesh um, don't pay off the way that they advertise to, and Christ-like suffering is the path to life. Honestly, I got to a point late this week with this message where I thought, we're so soft. <laughs> it's such a soft message, I feel like. And, and it's just where we are, you know? And I, was, I put two podcasts out in the weekly, one from The Voice of the Martyrs, which is a great podcast just to like, keep yourself in tune with what's going on around the world. But one was the church in China and what they're going on through right now, and the other was um, a church in the Middle East. And this message would be given very differently in those places, you know. And I thought about Paul saying, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For I've suffered the loss of all things, I count them as rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but with that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then he says, that I might know him. That's what he wants. Like there's just so much desire at the end of this passage that I might know him and that I might know the power of his resurrection. That's the prize. Like Jesus rose from the dead. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says, is in us if we are in Christ. And so the power of the resurrection is right, it's all around us, right? And he says, that's what I want, not the desires of the flesh. Like, I want to know the power of the resurrection. And I want to know the power of the resurrection. And may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Like Paul longs to share in the sufferings of Christ. Um, how do we get there? I thought about categories of suffering. So there's some unavoidable suffering, you know, but like unavoidable, catastrophic, traumatic suffering. I read a lot. I always gravitate back, and I read a lot of historical fictions. I keep coming back to World War II because it spawns so many amazing stories because it was so full of suffering. You know, I'm reading a historical fiction book about the French resistance right now. It's unbelievable. The greatest generation was the greatest generation because they suffered the most. They came out of a depression to save the world from two fascist dictators. Um, I bet they didn't want that, you know? I bet if you gave the greatest generation the choice and said th they would be fine being the perfectly average generation. Like, I think they would have been cool with that, you know, if it would have spared them the depression and the war, but the suffering brought out the greatness in them. So, but we're not facing that. The church in China and the church in the Middle East is facing that. We don't face that. There's routine suffering. So there's suffering that we've built in that, like earlier I pointed out, oh, that is kind of like a sacrificial suffering part of my life, but it's just a routine. So work is a form of suffering and toil that leads to goodness, you know, but it's a routine for you. Education is that. If you're 
if you're getting an education right now, it's, that's a form of suffering that leads to something. Marriage is a sacrifice of yourself that leads to something great. But if you're not sacrificing yourself in marriage, your marriage is not leading to something great, right? Like those things have to go together. And family is the same way. Like you give so much up um, to have a family, but you get so much out of it. And those are routines that you've, decisions you've made that then become built into your life. But then there's like optional suffering. This is the, I'm about to get a shot. She's got the needle right there. I don't want to do this. I want to do something else. But I know it will do me good. I might get a vaccine out of it or do someone else good. If I give blood, someone else might benefit. I just don't want to deal with the pain. And honestly, that might be the hardest, is the optional suffering that we can we can create a new routine that has some sacrifice involved in it um, or just an opportunity. And so I think routines, the, like the option, like the, the moving forward for us are routines that are choices that, that end up becoming sacrificial routines that lead to goodness or opportunities to identify with Christ that we know are going to cost us. Let me talk about routines for a minute because I think we probably have a lot of the opposite routines. We have a lot of routines of indulgence. Um, there was a guy years ago that talked to me about the difference between recreation and entertainment. Yeah, that is helpful. So God calls us to Sabbath. He calls us to rest. We need times of rest. We, he's given us all good things that we might, well, I forget the passage in Timothy, but like he's given these things to us um, to enjoy them and, uh, and they, to delight in the gifts that God's given us and they recreate us and get us ready. To, to serve him, you know. But then there's entertainment, and entertainment is a little bit of a different thing. And so recreation might be those gifts that you receive from God that you allow God to moderate and receive them as gifts from God. Entertainment might be the things that they come from God, but you, you stop recognizing that. You make them into God's sources of life and meaning that you moderate. And when you moderate them, what do we tend to do with them? Get as much as we can as often as we can, you know. <laughs> um, and so those, I don't know what those are for you. Like, those are, they're the margins, though, of our routines. I, I probably watch too much sports. Do I watch too much sports? Yeah, okay. Uh, it's not a margin there. It's close. Could be. I definitely get too engaged sometimes. It could be a nice meal or a glass of red with a nice meal that is a, a gift, but it can become an indulgence, and that can become a routine. Um, it can be a lazy, I love my Saturday mornings. And yesterday morning, um, Matthew actually was going to do Dream Center, and I didn't realize that we had it yesterday. I'm like, okay, I'll go do Dream Center. So I went and gave that up, and it ended up being me and the director of Dream Center, Jeremy Porras, who is great, is a friend, and I hadn't seen him in a few months, and he gave me the update on all the things that are going on with Dream Center. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, but like that is, a, there's right there, like a routine of indulgence, and it's not a bad thing, you know, um, but their margins. Amazon can become like, a helpful tool or, or a couple hours on your couch with your iPad and Amazon looking at all the stuff that you could have and building up your wish list can be, become something more than that. A pretty face, a bigger bank account, the next promotion, a nicer car, your family can, can get in there. I don't know what those satisfactions are from you that they're gifts from God, but they can cross over into like you can make them your own, their own sources of life for you that you moderate and you don't moderate very well. And so surrendering those things into routines that the Lord calls us to. And those routines are a form of suffering or maybe sacrifice, you know. And so you're here. This is a routine. Um, you're tuned in. Like you're giving your, your Sunday morning to the Lord. 
And that's a routine that he calls us to. Gathering together as a, as a church is a routine that he calls us to that some Sundays we want to do and some Sundays we don't. Um, but there's life that comes out of it. There's life that comes out of presenting ourselves before the Lord and the relationships that we have with each other. Serving in a role as a church is a routine of sacrifice that leads to life. You're giving up your Saturday morning or whatever it is for a routine of serving. Spending some time in the morning with the Lord instead of perusing your five favorite apps, which is like, that's my margin in the mornings. It's like, do I spend time with the Lord and dig in with this or do I just like look at some cotton candy on these apps and try and find something? Those are routines of sacrifice. Engaging with your home group during the week instead of binge watching Reacher on a Wednesday night. You know, like those are the margins of it. And he's saying the routine of sacrifice will reap benefits in other areas of your life. One of the things that I thought about during this was a guy at church named Scott Haith. And Scott has like the, the extreme experience of lots of these things. Um, and he was, and Scott's very open with this, but was in rehab five times for a heroin addiction pretty earlier in his life. And Scott gives himself away. Scott is, um, he, he was an active elder for a few years, and now he's an inactive elder, but he's more active as an elder probably than he, because he just chases people down that are going through hard situations. And he'll say, I need to like structure my life so I'm giving away my time, giving away our money, giving away my emotional energy to people in need, because if I don't, I'll become self-indulgent and I'll lean back towards addiction. It's an either or, and he gets it. And that's how he structured his life. And that's part of what he's calling us to. Jesus said, um, he, says to, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Whoever saves his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits himself? I think that's part of like the routines of how we live our lives. And then he said, whoever's ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of his Father and of the holy angels. And so there's routines, but then there's just these one-off opportunities to identify with Christ that we know are going to cost us something. I talked about that a bit the past few weeks, and it's, it's more and more in our culture. In this passage of Peter, it says, with respect to this, they're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. And so there's just chances. It's more and more in the, in the cultural mix that we're in right now to identify as a follower of Jesus and then just feel like you want to duck because you don't know what's coming next because you don't know what means that, that means to people. And, and I feel like more and more we as Christians are just keeping our head down and staying safe when that's not what he wants from us, but to look for those opportunities and to engage and to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to give us words in the moment and identify with Christ. I, I found a quote in a book I've been going through with some guys that said, in a world of fugitives, a person taking the opposite direction will appear to be running away. And again, not wanting to get moralistic about that, but it's increasingly, you're going to stand out. And that's a good thing. Um, for the, the cause of Christ. So I'm going to, Lent is coming up. Lent is something we've delved into a few times as a church. John has spent, just been in church traditions that have done more with Lent, and Lent really speaks into this um, more about, you can come out, John, about it, it is this. It's for a, a brief period of time, creating a routine of sacrifice, 
that is meant to bring you closer to, to Christ. Hey. Um, I'm going to take this opportunity to, uh, to thank a bunch of people that put in a brand new soundboard on Friday and Saturday, to Glenn and Jake in particular and a handful of other people with no issues this morning. No issues. Yeah. Um, yeah, since 2008, like, I, uh, like many of you, I grew up a denominational mutt. And, um, and ultimately la landed in kind of a non-denominational space, which I'd now tell somebody when they say, what's that church like? I'm like, it's what you think it is. <laughs> you know, they, still, they sing this and that, and just, just the way we roll. And uh, in 2008, I was introduced uh, to Lent, and it has become the most significant and spiritually enriching, enriching season of my every year since 2008. And uh, so I'm doing the stuff, whether you do it or not. But, uh, you know, I would say, going back to what you just said, 2008 to 2017 was just a series of unavoidable suffering that came my way. And <clears throat> Lent was the time to address the things I was going after that I somehow was really being driven uh, by more than I wanted to admit and do whole, going headlong into that and then turning around and giving it my time and effort towards something else that was God honoring. Since 2018 to 2022, it has been a really smooth season and it's a time of ch chosen suffering. Um, this church has been the most comfortable, easy job I've ever taken. I know, I'm, I, I could, you could say I'm gonna jinx it, but it has. And the problem is, is uh, in me with this job is a lack of chosen suffering uh, or a lack of uh, suffering of any type. And it's come to my attention that I really gotta decide who do I love more, my comfort or Jesus? So Lent begins in about two and a half weeks, March 2nd, and it ends in Easter. And basically the way it is, it's a 40-day uh, season. It's actually over 46 days because you don't celebrate it on Sundays. And usually it has two aspects to it. One, you are fasting from something, but then, less press on this one, you replace it by giving to something. So, for example, going to say, and you're watching on your subscription services too much TV, instead of spending an hour or two hours or three hours a night on this, uh, you are not, you're turning that off. You don't kind of complain about it, which is part of the beginning of prayer. And instead, you turn around and you pray to God for two to three hours. Uh, you've lost no time during the day. Uh, it could be light like that, or it could be uh, extreme. I've got 30 different ideas for how you different fast. That is a give up this and give towards this. So like you could go light like that, 
Um, you could do something much more uh, intentional. I've had some friends that give up a pillow the entire group time of Lent to remind themselves that it is not about my comfort and my rest is not associated in my bed. It's associated in my Savior. And so when they sit there, especially in the first 10 or 15 days and get used to it, they spend their time instead praying. I've had a lot of people uh, sell one thing in their house that means a lot to them and then take that money and give it away to a charitable cause. So it's a season where you could lightly go into it with a little bit of suffering and just a little focus, or it's a season where you can go all in. I've had friends do 40-day fast from food for 40 days, had to have medical professionals and all that stuff. So uh, um, to be able to navigate that. It's a season that's coming up in two and a half weeks. It's a great opportunity to say, hey, who am I living for? And why not own my own spiritual growth and go for it? So uh, we'll give you more updates if you're interested in reading this and ideas or traffic and with just talk to me afterwards. So we'll send out those ideas. We're going to send out a reading plan. Um, they're probably going to do through you version. Maybe through that, we'll, in the first day or two, we'll ask people to share what it is they're giving up. If you give up your pillow, do you have to pick up a chiropractor? <laughs> feel like that. Uh, um, but we want to engage that. If you're in a home group, it's a great thing to do together um, to talk through that. Like I said, we'll be able to, to do that um, through the app as well. Let me, this is my last thing. And um, our capacity to suffer well is directly related to our belief that the suffering will be worth it. And so this is from Hebrews chapter 12. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. God, Jesus doesn't want us suffering for suffering's sake. And I think that's our problem, is like there's, a, there's just a faith, a giant faith element. This is where the rubber hits the road. <laughs> um, faith is the evidence of things not seen, and this is the evidence, is are we willing to identify with him and his sufferings and trust that it's going to lead to life, that, that if we lose our life for his sake, we'll find it. He'll give it to us. That's where it comes down to it. You know, the Super Bowl is tonight. These guys and their families, these coaches, their wives, their children have sacrificed immensely to get to this point for the Super Bowl. If they win the Super Bowl, do you think they'll think it was worth it? I'm not sure it would have been worth it, like what they go through, but they're going to think that it was. And if they lose the Super Bowl, I mean, getting to the Super Bowl is pretty cool. Uh, so it's probably worth it one way or the other. It's not worth it if you're the Green Bay Packers and you were supposed to win the Super Bowl and you lost in the divisional round after a year of like just getting, trying to get back to the championship game to see if it's worth it. It's definitely not worth it. This passage is saying we are not the Green Bay Packers. Jesus will not lose in the divisional round. He is winning the Super Bowl and taking us with him. You know what I mean? Like it's going to be worth it. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is coming. Sin will cease in and around us. And God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it will all be worth it. For this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. They might live in the spirit the way God does. We may know the power of the resurrection.
uh, and it will be, every bit of it will be way beyond worth it. The band's going to come up, and we're going to worship again. We, um, we have the communion cups on your, on your seats, and we're just going to offer you, like, when you're ready during these next few songs, um, to, to engage in the reminder of the suffering of Christ on our behalf. And so this is his body that is broken for us and his blood that has been poured out for us. Um, it's by his wounds that we are healed. And none of this suffering that he calls us into is to make God love us anymore because we can't. Um, it's not to earn God's favor because that, that's not how it works. He, is, he has earned God's favor for us by his work for us on the cross. Father, thanks for um, the, the things that you've called us into. I pray that you would convict us um, in the space in our lives that you need to convict us, Lord, about things that have become routines of indulgence that need to be routines where we, we offer ourselves to you, where we're not experiencing the life that you made us for, but it's because we're striving for it in the wrong ways, where you want us to, to have an impact in the lives of people around us, but we have to trust you in new ways to do that. God, would you convict us and would we respond to, the, to, to what your spirit is calling to us? We love you and we thank you for the chance to meet with you today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.